You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. And welcome to the Scottish Football Forums podcast. And at a change from your regularly scheduled host, I'm Chris Marshall. Um, a last minute call up to replace a bed stricken joint to preview Scotland's first two women's World Cup qualifiers away to Hungary this Friday and then at home to the Fairways on Tuesday, the 21st of September, as we look to head down under in 2023. But I am not alone, as I have brought along with me the voice of the BBC Sports Online SWPL coverage and a man who is also the voice of a host of games up and down the pyramids for television and radio. My good buddy, and someday I don't get to do podcasts very, very often these days, uh, Stuart Mitchell. Stuart, how are you doing? I'm good. Good to be back in a little SFF sort of crossover. So obviously a lot of exciting things to speak about for the week ahead. So yeah, really looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. We, we were doing it before all the, all the cool kids were. That's, that's, that's the story, really. <laughs> but no, not at all. But yeah, we are here to obviously talk about um, talk about Scotland, but we're also touching the SDPL a little bit later on as well. But Let's get straight into it, Stuart, and let's let's talk about before we get into some of the questions that we've had laid out for us. How are you feeling about the fact you've got two internationals coming up in a new campaign on the horizon? I'm really excited. I don't know if um, a lot of the, the the club managers and coaches domestically will be thinking the same way because it feels that every time they get a season going, they get an interruption a couple of weeks into it. But as a sort of commentator, as a fan, as, as a spectator, I'm really excited. I think there's a been a lot of changes that we could look forward to and it's really intriguing to find out what's going to happen with those but at the same time after everything we've experienced recently which we won't go too much far into because we speak about it quite a lot these days it's going to be great to get some sort of live international be there in person action back that we could all speak about and we've seen in the last few months the the spirits of the, the men's national team kind of go down and then back up again with the Austria game so let's get stuck into that with the, the women's side as well shouldn't we? Absolutely. I am uh, buzzing to have some, fo- some international football back for the women's side. Um, obviously, given everything that's happened the last couple of years, it's been a while since we've been able to go as as fans, as a group of fans, as fans in general. I'm I'm going to the game on Tuesday night as a fan. I've, I've made that decision. I know I had, I had the option to do otherwise, but um, that's my choice. But yeah, let's let's get into it because I think we're both excited. And you mentioned changes, and I suppose the biggest change since the last time Scotland played the competitive game is in the dugout where Spaniard Pedro Martinez Losa has taken over the role from Shelley Kerr. Took a wee while to get there, but we got there in the end. Um, he's also been assisted by Leanne Ross and his new Spanish assistant, whose name is totally just got it my head. I want to say Juan Balacra, but that may not be quite right. Um, really? <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, but yeah, Pedro Martinez Losa, what was your thoughts when you saw the, the announcement in terms of his arrival? Again, to use a word I just did, I was excited by it because, and I think the main reason for that is because I didn't expect it. And sometimes when you see a name that you don't expect, it adds that kind of, oh, right, okay. And then you do a bit of digging, a little bit of research to try and find out more. And then 
sometimes you, you read it the way you want to read it, but everything that I read just came across as, as positive news, a good appointment, and a sort of optimistic feeling around it as well. I think everybody, because of the length of time it took to get there, had a name, even the most neutral or the the supporters that normally sometimes sit in the fence with the amount of thinking time you had, a name would have come into your head of who you wanted or who you thought should have been appointed by that point. But then when I saw Pedro Martinez Losa appointed, you look at the projects he's been involved in so far, It's I think it's a good pull for Scotland to get. And I think obviously he's got a lot of knowledge within Europe. You look at what he's done recently with Arsenal, Bordeaux, time in America as well. So, as, a, as an all-round overall sort of appointment, I think a name that was exciting, you get a little bit of that hint of how is his style going to be, how is he going to play, is it something different, is it a good sort of foundation that he might build for progression, which is after qualifying for the World Cup in 2019 has been one of the kind of key words of building on that and moving the game forward. And I think with some of the coverage that we've, we've saw since he was appointed, I think that's a, a real step in the right direction. Yeah, I think uh, excited, as you say, we're maybe using this a lot at the moment, but I think it's justified, um, as you say, when the when the name did drop as to who it was, it was a, a bit of a joke, but in a, in a good way. I think there was, given, given the amount of time it took to kind of get to the point where we got to, I think people were starting to wonder what, what was going to happen next, and then to see a, a name like Pedro's drop, I think, was was a positive step. It definitely got curious, curious eyes looking at it. Um, as you mentioned, he's had a good bit of experience. He... Um, Kind of started his career in Spain, Spaniard, obviously, and had some success with Rayo Vallecano. Uh, but more recently, he's probably best known for his time at Arsenal. He actually took over from Shelley Kerr um, at Arsenal and uh, led them to a WSL Cup and an FA Cup. And he's had some experience with some of the players that are in the Scotland squad now in that respect. And then his most recent spell with Bordeaux, where he was best of the rest behind, uh, obviously, the all-conquering Lyon and PSG are two juggernauts of a different level um, in France uh, to get that third Champions League spot and uh, get them into to have a place into that new competition, although I think they, uh, they got knocked out by Wolfsburg in the, in the last playoffs. Uh, but he was gone by then, so it's not his fault, that one. Um, but yeah, uh, taking over that role, and we got coach of the year as well in the, the, for the female version of the keep. So yeah, I think it's a, a very interesting appointment. He not only knows the English game at the kind of top level, but he also was involved in Melville uh, Lionesses. This is now London City Lionesses, where the likes of Jamie Lee Napier, Carly Gerasoli, some of our, our younger players down south are playing. And I think how the championship revolves in the next couple of years will be something that will definitely be looked upon by, by Pedro as he looks to kind of build in a squad. Um, I spoke to him uh, a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about how he has a, has a, a, a build of about 55 players on his mind. And I think that's interesting to know because he's, already having to utilise the squad he's picked and then maybe players he's got in on the back burner just now. Yeah, I think the, the sort of backroom team as well is really interesting. You mentioned earlier Jose Barcala, I think, coming in, but he was beside him in Bordeaux. And then adding in Leanne Ross as well, who's made the step down from, or the step into retirement from Glasgow City and, and a bigger coaching role there. And then to have someone like her within the national team as well, I think it's a really big step and a really positive one too. Um, obviously, we saw the... The sort of the different sort of changes and little tweaks to the the technical team and the friendlies back in June against Northern Ireland and Wales, but even read I read an article from Claire M. Emsley on Monday, I think it was, 
just her feedback and what she was talking about that had happened in training and tweaks and the standards that had changed and things like that. She said it was really technical. So I think just the little things that are happening in the background are, are important that they're, they're being spoken about positively as well, because sometimes not everyone takes the changes, but then in the national setup too, that you don't always get the same amount of time, which makes it even more interesting what's going to happen as you touched on earlier with all the injuries as well that's uh, affected the squad in the last week and a half or so. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think you're right to bring up the backroom staff, and particularly Leanne Ross. I was uh, listening to a podcast with Diana Barry. Maybe not a name that everybody instantly recognised, but a former Scotland international um, who kind of gave up a little bit earlier than, than most, and she was saying how she was maybe a little bit disappointed that maybe it wasn't a female coach coming in, but I think having Leanne in there as that voice is certainly certainly a good thing. We've touched we've touched on injuries, or if we to kind of move on to the squad, but I think before we talk about the injuries, there's the the big, or should I say, little nimble-footed elephant in the room that we need to address, which is obviously Kim Little, who announced her retirement ahead of this qualifying campaign. And 140 caps, 59 goals, a former world, well, former world player of the year. She's still only 31. I'm sure she's still got a, a number of years left in the tank for Arsenal, and if she moves on from Arsenal from there as well. Key to get us into Euro 2017, and then missed out through injury, and then key again to getting us in the World Cup and having a, having a role at that tournament. She's a she's a legend of Scottish women's football. Stuart. I think that's a pretty fair thing to say. But I I I hoped there was at least one more campaign in her. But it sounds like she had maybe had this decision on her mind for a wee while. Yeah, and a good transition as you're saying there from Leanne Ross because we're both. Leanne retiring at club level and then Kim retiring at international level, reading everything you've saw on social media and around the comments just shows how important both players have been to who they, what they've represented in their careers as well and no change with Kim Little. But like you say, I think for the way it sort of came around the decision and the timing of it is obviously something that's been in the back of the mind and has been given some careful thought and consideration to and obviously she feels it's right for her and and that's the main thing at the end of the day for Kim Little to look after what what, what she has in her life and everything that's going on and uh, as you said asking the question here as a Scotland fan it's a blow because you're just so used to or I am for the the few years I've been involved and the national team going to watch them or whether I've been reporting or whatever for, for websites or anything like that. Kim Little is standing in the middle of the pitch in the Scotland shirt you know, time and time again and it becomes something that you kind of take for granted a little bit and I think that was the biggest realisation when the news broke was, wow, didn't expect it to happen but secondly, as you said, you were expecting more, you were expecting to still see her for another campaign or two, especially after what's just happened in, in the most recent campaign and sort of maybe difficult to use the word deflating but it, it was it was disappointing at least so you're hoping that she would be part of another rebuilding process and obviously with a new manager that the the positive road ahead would include Kim Little in the middle in a Scotland shirt but maybe that that comes into the timing of it as well it then gives you an opportunity to celebrate her Scotland career and what she's been part of but I, I did expect and of course wanted her to see her in a Scotland shirt for another campaign or two going forward and well, that's disappointing that we won't have her. It's, it's right to celebrate and acknowledge everything that she's done in a Scotland shirt up to that point where she made the decision. Oh, absolutely. Um, one of one of my favourite players ever, I think I have said on multiple occasions. I know some of you might have never heard my voice before, so I'm saying this like you have. But I've said on multiple occasions, she's maybe my favourite Scotland player of all time. Um, I think uh, the, the game in particular was... Uh, the. I mean, there's lots of them, but in, in recent memory, the, the first game after the World Cup where we played Cyprus at home, she scored five goals. I mean, Cyprus weren't 
one great shake, but she scored five goals and she absolutely strolled it. Um, and getting speaking to her after the game and just say, what's it like to score five goals for Scotland? Because I sure don't know how that feels. Um, so yeah, I think it's a it's a little bit as a as a bit of a blow, but I, I also think there's a there's an opportunity if you kind of think about how women's football's involved in the last decade or so. Kim Kim was one of the the faces of the early era, and now as a, as the game expands and grows, you obviously got to expand the Champions League, the WSL with all its sponsorships and broadcast deals now. I think there's maybe an opportunity that Kim can extend her career a little bit, and I think she's more more than deserved that opportunity, given everything she's uh, given to Scotland and women's football as a whole uh, up until this point. So yeah, sad sad she's gone, but happy for her if she's happy, and that's that's the important thing at the end of the day. Yeah, just on a, on a transitioning point as well, that just because you know we're starting to see a lot of you know fresh faces move into the the Scotland side. I mean, we had Leah Eddy recently, and we've had some domestic players like Brianna Westrup, and they've come into the Scotland setup. And you always want those players like Kim Little to be around when they come in and the pass on advice and their experience. I mean, as a, as a footballing figure, like you just mentioned, does not take a moment to not use just Scotland, but you know what for what she's done in career. The words influence and inspiration have been used so many times when people were sort of marking her decision to retire. And she's a really positive person to have around there. I mean, even sometimes where Erin Cuthbert or Caroline Weir took the headlines, Kim Little was still working away in the back of the midfield and allowing things to happen. So not only for the, the words of advice and experience, but for the way that play could be dictated when she was on the park. She actually had a big loss for that as well. But we do have those fresher players coming through into the squad, so it's an opportunity for for someone else to to try and mark and take on that leading role now. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, speaking about transitions, let's transition to that squad. So, um, yeah, squad that has been called up for the two qualifiers. Um, let's let's talk about it. We won't go through all the names. Obviously, you can go and find them in your usual sources for finding squads. But I think the, the kind of big developing story over the last week has been the players that I've had to pull out. Um, so in the past week, we've lost Caroline Weir, um, we've lost Kirsty Smith, Lisa Evans and Lucy Graham. Um, all have had to pull out for various injuries. Um, I know Caroline missed the, Champions, um, missed the weekend game in the WS with a knee injury. I know that Lisa Evans was up with the squad getting assessed and it's been decided she wasn't quite ready um, in terms of uh, playing the games that we need to play but that's when we've talked about the experience of Kim and having the young players coming up and I think we'll talk about them in a wee second as well to lose those four players in particular I would say two of, the, two of, two of which would have been stick on for that, that starting lineup in that game in Hungary but to lose those four players all of which have got experience at the international level is, is a bit of a blow at the start of the campaign and it's an it's a unexpected riddle for, for Pedro to kind of fix round yeah, it's been a tough one, hasn't it? Definitely not ideal and a strange time for it to all happen as well. But at the same time, you can only hope that the players are recovering from whatever illness, injuries, whatever has had them pull out the squad. But like you say there, you know, a few names that have been cement really in the squads and in the announcements over the last, what, year, year and a half. I'm trying to think how many games have been played stop starting in the last little while as well. But, you know, always in contention for a starting spot and at the start of a new campaign those are the kind of players that you sometimes think managers are going to rely on so that will be difficult and I think it's you know hard to, to sort of just highlight one of them but Caroline we are speci- specifically after the, the the news from Kim Little will be one that people would have turned to to kind of give themselves comfort Kim Little's retiring okay look towards someone like Caroline Weir and she's not going to be available for the for the opening two games 
And the, the Hungary one will, will still be a tricky game. Um, I know it's sometimes used as a cliche, but I think it applies to every sport, every level, that if you're going away to certain countries and against certain teams, no matter where they're ranked and, and the rankings that you're competing in, they're, they're going to be tough trips. They're going to be getting used to the nature. And I think where Scotland are now, Hungary will be looking forward to to taking on Scotland. I think they've made some new fresh changes recently as well. So it's sort of a, a little bit of a turning point for them. I mean, I tried earlier to try and pick a starting eleven. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know if I should admit to that or not because it was it was a tough job to do so. But there's an opportunity there for the players that have stepped in, and we've seen a, a, again more domestic faces, which is pleasing for us to see as well, since we were, we were heavily involved in the in the, the domestic setup at home. And it's an opportunity for those players to go make a bit of a lasting impression on a new manager and just make sure that they can't be ignored moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Let's touch on the players that have come in. So um, first in was Rachel Boyle, who experienced international. Um, she's obviously played, uh, she kind of plays at either, she can play at full-back or in midfield. She's played both for Hibs this season um, in the two games so far. She played at back against Barnes and played a bit further up against against Motherwell. Um, and then in came, uh, and then in came Lauren Davidson, uh, along with Lizzie Arnott. And then finally, on the day of recording, so we're recording this on the day that Jenna Clark was brought up into the squad to replace Lisa Evans, so just in case you're listening to this and something else has changed afterwards. That's the four that we know at that point. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think in particular, um, obviously Rachel had been in and around the squad before, uh, same with Lizzie as well, but I think in particular with Lauren Davison and, and Jenna Clark both coming in from Glasgow City, both uh, uh, 19, I think, Jenna might have just turned 20. I'm not, I'm doing that off the top of my head, but I think that's the thing that's probably right. Yeah. Stuart, Stuart's not in that. Yeah, excellent. Um, but both have been like in the under 19 setup for a while. But I think it's I think we're both I think we both as you've just alluded to, I think we're both very happy to see young SWPL talent getting involved in the squads. But as a little I think it's probably a little bit earlier than we would expect. And I think that's maybe an indication that maybe squad depth at the moment isn't as strong as it has been in in the past couple of campaigns for us, especially when you look at some of the options that we're now gonna to have to juggle about for these these two games. Yeah, um, and that's going to be one of the important things is that sometimes, again, national sides, national manager can take a little bit of time to find their, their starting lineup too because you'll get two games, then you'll go away for however many weeks again and then you'll recall a squad and it's a forever changing sort of backdrop, isn't it? The, the, the injuries will change. Some players by that time may have dropped out of favour at, at club sides and so on. So different things can change. So it would always be really important for that sort of really ideal starting 11 a manager has in mind to be there for the first couple of games but I think as you mentioned some of the domestic players there but looking Kirsty Grimshaw Kirsty Grimshaw is one that's had you know a lot of people have been raring to see her more um, play for the national team and be in and around the squad I think Chloe Arthur's one as well that's that's maybe over recent years from what I can remember has been mentioned but hasn't really been you know a, a first pick at times so then there's a couple of opportunities for those players to take this sort of gap in what's happening with the squad to make their mark too. Um, you, you mentioned at the beginning too the, the, the sort of younger players, but just being in and around the camp for Jenna Clark and Lauren Davidson, having Lee Alexander there as well will be hugely important. Yeah. And it'll be a great experience for, for those two. And I mean, we've saw over the last how many ever years that Jenna's been 
coming through. Sometimes you could think that Jenna's older than she actually is than 20 because of the amount she's been involved. Lauren as well with her time at Hibs before too. So, you know, they're, they're there on merit because Lauren had a bit of a tough time recently and then she started blasting in goals for Glasgow City halfway through last season. You pointed out earlier, though, before we even got recording, the midfield is the is the sort of bit that's circled just now where you're sort of trying to think what we might do in there and how it might fit into the way Martinez Losa plays. So that's, as I'm saying, you mentioned Rachel Boyle, the Chloe Arthur's been playing a bit further forward at times, because we used to say, or sometimes at wing back as well. So there's there's gaps there. And as important it is to get off to the, the winning start in these two games against Hungary and the Faroe Islands, what better way to make your mark than than trying to pick up the, the first three points against Hungary and, and advance on that game at Hamden? It's going to be a, a good occasion for whoever's involved in that Tuesday night game at Hamden as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think yeah, the, the midfield is I think it's a, a consensus now that midfield is it'll be interesting to see who, who lines up for that that game in Hungary. Um, there is a lot of experience in terms of games, but maybe not necessarily international experience. Um, for me, the one player that you didn't mention, I think you mentioned some very good ones, is uh, Kirsty Hansen, who I think is uh, going a little bit under the radar, um, particularly in the WSL, because I don't think she's got a she's not got a jazzy sounding name. She's not from a jazzy country. But I uh, I was at the, the Rangers against Manchester United friendly uh, before the season started, and she was amazing. Like I, th- I thought she was the best player in the park. Um, to be honest with you, and I think she started the season well as well. And I think. That's something to bear in mind. Some of the some of the players in the WSL have maybe moved about a little bit, and it's it's changed the landscape. But we've still got—I mean, it seems daft, but you, you almost forget about Erin Cuthbert all the time because, as you mentioned, Caroline Weir is, I think, kind of being anointed as the next fulcrum of the team. But I mean, Erin's still only twenty-three. She started the season incredibly. She she um, was uh, key in both of Chelsea's goals, even though they lost three-two to Arsenal, and she picked up the, the player of the match in the, the following game for them. Um, and players like Claire Emsley can can turn it on, um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's it's going to be. Uh, let's let's talk about the games because I think that's that's where we're naturally going to next. Um, in terms of the the games coming up, I think Hungary away with a fully fit squad felt like a, a good way to squat start. We should still back ourselves to win this game, but it's definitely added a layer of layer of trepidation because as you mentioned they have made some changes they brought in a new head coach Margaret Kratz um, a German um, who has set out some ideas that she's there to kind of start a project and that maybe works in our favour in that respect but yes it's maybe been made a little bit more difficult because some of the options that he would have had aren't available to him for that first game yeah um, you know it's the one where you can account on your experience and the one, the, the match where you'd want the people, or sorry, the players that have been to these away, tricky away ties and tricky away games and, and the qualifiers have been through it before to step in, step up and, and, and bring the rest of the team through as well and just mark their experience on the game and, and the trip too. But then you can look on the flip side that it could also be an exciting trip, whereas there's a fresh sort of feel to it. There's a new face given the instructions, the tactical, tactical side of it, the training. And sometimes that fresh, I think in football these days, it needs the, the, the fresh voices at times to just keep getting ideas over and keep some players on their toes. Uh, it seems to develop that way a lot anyway. So that on the flip side might help and there might be a renewed energy about it all. And as you said, we've been starved of some competitive international action for a while so it'll be a, a welcome sort of distraction maybe to the season started with dom- domestic clubs at the start of the month but now it's 
a chance to sort of get back into the swing of international to to domestic club football as well. So I think look at it positively, but there is a bit to be a bit wary of because I mean from what I've been trying to look into in Hungary ahead of the game, we've still got a couple of Champions League experienced players in there with Hoffenheim and, and BK Heiken as well. BK Heiken that um I think I've got Leon and Bayern Munich in their group. So yeah. you know the 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 way the the Champions League format's been recently, the way it is now, is going to breed some players, younger players, to get fresh experience, and that's something I think you take into international situations as well. Like you said, there's a bit of a project there, and that might help Scotland too. That is two teams going up against each other that are trying to maybe find a bit of a new identity, but at the same time, I think the way Hungary will look at it is they'll look at Scotland as a is a team to sort of admire and, and want to reach the same heights of and qualify for major tournament just like Scotland have. And from the WSL, I think there'll be recognisable names coming up against Hungary players and they'll want to sort of make their mark at the start of a fresh campaign and, and, and get a result against Scotland and that'll really kick things off for them. So it'll be tricky. And I think the added intrigue, like you say, is before you even look at the matches, we're going to want to see what the starting lineup is before we get a real feel for how that game might go. No, absolutely. And um, you mentioned that Hungary will be looking to Scotland as a, an example, and it's actually something their new head coach has said in the, in the build-up to this game, that sh- they're not shooting to try and be Germany or Spain or France or England straight away, but they look at Scotland and they go, well, we could be Scotland, we could we could reach that level of attainment and that, that level, and I think that than itself has a as a as a degree of intrigue, but obviously that game's on Friday night uh, away in Hungary. Uh, that game is uh, I can't remember the kickoff time, but it's Friday night, so watch it then. Uh, and then that brings us to Tuesday, um, and our first home game in the World Cup qualifiers against the Faroe Islands. Uh, we played the Faroe Islands. I I was uh, having a wee rummage around my box of things uh, earlier on, and I found the program from the Scotland against Faroe Islands in, game in 2014. That day, I was played at Fur Park. And uh, Scotland won 9-0. Um, and I, I don't think that will happen on Tuesday. I think women's football as a as a whole has grown a lot further in that time. But two things are different from that date. One, the squad, obviously. And then Coach Anderson Gold was in, time, in charge at that point. And two is the venue, because Scotland's women's national team will be playing their games at Hamden um, for this coming campaign and for the foreseeable future. And uh, I am on board with this move. I think initially... I had to ponder it for a little while, if I'm being honest. But the more I think about it and the more I've seen the reaction to it from Scotland players, from people who want to be inspired by the Scotland Women's National Team, by people who are coming to play at Hamden against Scotland Women's National Team, I think it's going to be a really beneficial move and it gives it gives room for growth for the women's game, which is something that we, we always need. Yeah, I, I spoke to John about this uh, a couple of weeks ago for the, the famous Tartan Army magazine, if we're allowed to give that a... A bit of a pun. Um, I'm sure he will, since he was the one that done the article with me. But I, I, just, I couldn't hide my my delight at the at the decision. I understand that over time, you know, we've experienced Scotland in a number of different stadiums and venues, and sometimes I think that goes against trying to get people involved. Because for me, not knowing the consistent venue changes people's plans and people's ideas of going to a game and you sometimes wait to see which venue it's going to be at to try and figure out transport and things like that whereas if you know where a game is being played and you know the home of the national team you will go to those games nothing changes and you can maybe plan ahead more and Hamden itself makes it more of a day out for some people it's 
you know, an, an opportunity to go to the national stadium, which is always a highlight when you're a football fan from when you're young and you're thinking about the first time you went or big games that you've experienced there, whether that be club or international. Um, Attendance-wise, I think there was a dis- there's, it was right to have a discussion about it in, in that sense, but I can't stop going back to the Jamaica game before the squad set off for the 2019 World Cup. We were both at that in sort of different capacities, so we got different sort of experiences, I think, from it. But both experiences when we spoke about afterwards were hugely positive. And obviously the the situation at the time helped towards that because it was a summer night and the, the squad are about to be playing in a, in, a, in a World Cup and you're going to be either at the game, over in France, watching it on TV, the build-up and the excitement was all there. But as an occasion, for the first time, it's probably going to be more of an occasion. It'd be right to describe it that way because it's going to feel special. But we want that to also be something normal for the women's team as well, I think, too, that it's not always just a, you know, an exciting one-off occasion or event. It's going to be something that becomes consistent and your home becomes the national stadium. And then for girls, women that are watching the team, I think having that located the venue and the location of Hamden adds a lot to it, and it will feel right. It will it will feel right to watch a Scotland team play there. That's what we're used to seeing the images. If it's not a national cup final, it's the national team. So, I think what I want to be wary of on Tuesday is just looking at it as an occasion and it being at Hamden. But I think we have to recognise that that is a massive step as well, and even. The announcement was made, I believe, just after Pedro Martinez Losa was announced. Yeah. He supported it. The players supported it. And even one thing that you brought up to me as well that I didn't even think of was the opposition players that are going to come over to, to face Scotland is going to be big for them as well. It's a stadium that you've just watched if you watched the, the Men's European Championships and saw on occasion hosting two big teams in a big tournament. And opposition players are going to be coming across to face the, the Scotland women's national team in the same stadium. So I think that overall is a big thing too. And I, I just, I, I just, I can't help but say I think it's the right decision. I'm really, really happy about it. No, same. And um, I tell you what, if you've plugged the Tartan Army magazine, I'm going to probably leading the line while I'm here because I spoke to, to reference the point you've just made, Stuart. I spoke to the Faroe Islands captain Asla Jonasson, um, and that's a podcast over in Leading Line. We did a Hungary preview as well, so we'll go have a have a wee listen to them as well. Got some expert insight, but yeah, I think that was a big thing. I think two two of the things that I think have were the kind of the recurrent arguments, which one was capacity. Um, I think I felt um, I was fortunate enough to get to one of the Scotland games during the Euros at, at Hamden, where the capacity was greatly reduced, and it didn't matter. There was still an atmosphere. There were still people there giving it yelled at, to use a good Scottish word. Um, and that didn't concern me. And then I think the second thing is that, yeah, you know, like I know people are quite keen to be down in Hamden. I know there's some chat about the fact that maybe they're going to bring the ends in. But with the way that women's football is in Scotland just now, everybody knows Hamden is not going to get filled in a day. It's not going to get filled in all, in all respect to the Faroe Islands. It's not going to get filled on a Tuesday night home to the Faroe Islands. But if you can grow that and you can grow that game by game by game, that's a positive. And do you know what? Who what is wrong with imagining that, say we come to play Spain and it becomes a crucial game? What's wrong to say there's like thirty thousand folk will turn up for that game? If the momentum's there and that's on the park and off the park, then that's fantastic. And it's better having that as an option and having somewhere that is home. Bit of a cliche, but that's what everybody's calling it, and that's what it is, is home Scottish football. And um, I think that's that can only be a, a good thing for for the involved. So yeah, I am I'm buzzing. I'm buzzing to go to Hamden to see Scotland women's team play. I've, I've only seen them once before when they played uh, Spain, ironically enough, in a, a playoff, um, which 
ultimately didn't end up the way we wanted it to. But um, yeah, I, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm very keen to see how many people turn up. I think, I think, I actually think there's well something to talk about is actually the pricing that's been done for it because it's actually more expensive than previous games to go see the women's national team. But I, I don't have a problem with that because I think sometimes women's football undersells itself a little bit in terms of the value it attributes to going to a game of football and the experience. And you know what? £10 is still not a lot of money to go and see an international football match, but it's more than it was before and it makes it more of a an event. Whereas if it's maybe a fiver, you maybe give it or take it, you maybe buy a ticket and then not think about it. And I think I think that's right as well. Setting that tone is, is really important. I think the benefit of playing the Faroe Islands, again, with all due respect to the Faroe Islands, is we should get off to a winning start in that, that game at Hamden. Yeah, I think that the, the pricing is something that I, I, I more took sort of note of the, you know, one of the really important things for me is that link with the SSC members and just trying to, you know, there's always going to be an audience there that hasn't experienced watching the women's national team. And sometimes it just takes that one flick of a switch to get someone hooked in, in sport. And I think that it's the same case for this. Obviously, we missed out a lot, I would say, in the the sort of we had the World Cup in 2019 midway through a domestic season. There was maybe a little bit of a draw after that, but then the season ended, what was it, October, November with the Scottish Cup final and at Tynecastle. And then we didn't have anything until March the following year when obviously the health situation was a, a big crashing point towards sport and towards everything in the world at that point. So momentum did get lost. I think it's something I've said a few times and there's an opportunity here with the, the, the Hamden announcement to to try and make up for some of that lost momentum. And as you said, okay, maybe a discussion to have I had about prices, but at the same time, you're going to see the national team and you're going to see a great product as well. It's a, you're going to see some great players. And, you know, if we look away from Scotland, I mean, Spain come to town, you're, you know, you're going to see, you know, Champions League players there as well. You know, there's going to be a, a big draw, not only just for the home side, but as an event and as a fixture. And of course, like you say, we want to be still firing in all cylinders for when Spain come around in, in the two games there, because one thing that will do is that is that fixture will bring a lot of a lot of visibility, especially if we're competing for the qualification, top spot, whatever, when we're playing against Spain. And then add on the fact that the visibility at Hamden's going to provide as well, with the games being there is massive too. Because I, I do believe that if it was being played elsewhere, because it's at Hamden, you're going to have more interest and some more media interest and some more outlets that are maybe going to go, right, well, it's at Hamden, new manager, let's go along and, and, and take in Tuesday and report back or, or do whatever. So I think as a as a, as a draw all round for supporters, media, whatever, I think Hamden itself gives that sort of, we should be there, we should cover this. It should already be covered, obviously, because it's, it's, it's a great product and it's the, the women's national team as well. But I think having it at Hamden helps that. No, 100%. But yeah, I am looking forward to the start of the campaign. So the Hungary game is on Friday night, 7 o'clock kickoff. It is live on BBC Alva. And then Scotland against the Faroe Islands, uh, Tuesday, 21st of September, with a 25 to 8 kickoff. I'm not telling you where it is on the telly because you're going to go to the game instead. Uh, you can get tickets, as we said, for, from £10 for adults. Uh, there's concession tickets available at a fiver. And if you're in Sports Scotland Supporters Club, it's free. So if you're able to get to Hamden, why not pop along to the game? I think it'll be a fantastic occasion. 
And it's not not every day you're going to have your first time at your new home. Um, so that's that's a wonderful thing to, to look upon. We should probably talk a little bit about the rest of the group before we wrap up on, on the Scotland chat. Um, we also mentioned Spain, uh, Ukraine, who we played recently, obviously most recently in the Pinatar Cup, where we managed to beat them quite comfortably, actually, that day. Hungary and the Faroe Islands, we are in one of the, the five-team groups, which makes things a little bit, not necessarily more difficult, but it means we don't necessarily have the buffer of maybe two teams that are not not worthy of consideration. That's the wrong word to say, but are games that we'd expect to win quite comfortably without having to put excess effort into it. Um, it's a it's a midland draw, I think, Stuart, as, as was my take on it. I think Spain, the likes of Alexia Putialas, I mean, that Barcelona team now are just working on a different plane at the moment, and that's a lot of Spain players are in, in that team. Uh, but then I think Ukraine, we're obviously seeded second this, and Ukraine is the third seed. I think we should be certainly aiming for second uh, in this group. And who knows what happens against Spain? We could we could pull off something magical. Uh, a hand in night, we would pull off something magical. But I definitely think we should be looking to second place and try to get into those playoff places for the for the World Cup. Yeah, and imagine that like a successful campaign. And it's been played out the home games at Hamden, but that's that's going to be pretty special if we could get to that. And we're maybe running away ahead of ourselves, but I think that's that's where my excitement just now is. Anyway, that I'm I'm you know taking it as we should always acknowledge what happened with you know recently in the national team with Shelley Kerr and the fantastic achievements that have been made in that time. But it's also like a fresh era. It's like a new start, and as you said, new home. And you know, looking at the group. It could have been worse. I think that was that was my sort of take at the time. And as we've looked at things going forward, there's a little bit more bits of optimism to sort of keep in. And I think without meaning any disrespect to our, our previous qualification campaign, I think when it comes around or, or even just seeing Spain, I think that's going to be a big, big motivation for the squad and the players that are going to be involved. And at the moment, the motivation is there to get off to a great start so that you're considered for the squad no matter what happens when these games come around. So I think that possibly could work a little bit in our favour. And then you take into consideration the fact that Pedro Martinez Los has been across the media the last couple of days saying he wants to make his mark on his, his home nation. So I think if you take it all in, there's there's a the massive selling point to all. There's a lot of excitement. You mentioned the, the Ukraine game there as well. Yeah, I think I, I remember that with Martha Thomas scored the the two goals from what I remember rightly. I commentated on that one, but it's just that the whole occasion <laughs> to me was was an exciting one for for the the match as well as commentating on it. So I've probably a big bit of a blur in my mind that I was lost in stats through the match as well. But um, yeah, the, the, from what I remember, there was sort of danger there from Ukraine at that point. But as soon as we got the the opening goal and the second goal you sort of saw the Ukraine head start to dip a little bit and, and Scotland grew in confidence. And I think that'll be similar to this campaign and it'll be important to get off to the best start possible in the, the game against Hungary on Friday and then on Tuesday. But I think the key one is this game on Friday. After everything that's happened in the last week and a half, if we manage to, I think Rachel Corsi said six points has still got to be the target. Yeah. But I think take into consideration, acknowledge new manager, the difficulties through the squad at the moment. If we could come away from this first game on Friday with three points, perfect start. And the momentum, I think, through the country and through the squad will just start rolling from there. Yeah, it's weird. It's, it, it almost feels like there is pressure on this game, even even though it's only the first game. But when you look at how the fixtures have kind of been uh, navigated by, by Fiona McIntyre at the time, because uh, Pedro wasn't in Rome, 
they give us a, a real good shot at a great start because if we win that game in, in Hungary on Friday night, we then play the Pharaohs in Hungary at home, and that's nine points from nine, and we've dealt with what potentially could be a nuisance in Hungary in, in that in that um, in those two games, and then it's like the big the big boy games. Hopefully, fingers crossed, touch wood. Um, playing Scotland, playing Ukraine and Spain. Ukraine at home and then traveling to Spain in November and then fast forward into April and then traveling to Ukraine and then playing Spain at home and ending the game, ending the series of games away to the Faroe Islands. I think by that point, we'll know where we are and whether that Faroe Islands game is a nice trip up to the Faroes or if it's going to be something that seals seals a spot, which is uh, obviously what we're aiming for. But I think that the run of games that we've got, we've got such a great opportunity to start positively. And I think that, as you say, starts, starts on Friday night. I think Hungary plays Spain in the second match as well. Am I, am I right in saying so? While we're playing Faroe Islands at home, no disrespect, we we are expecting, I think, is right to say, three points from that game, the occasion of kicking off at Hamden. Well, I just wonder, is there a, there's a potential there that maybe Spain are going to have a tricky tie against Hungary and will, will that have any sort of bearing? I don't know. But the, what, what we do at the start of these campaigns, whether you're a supporter or however you're involved, you dream, don't you? And... We, as you said at the very top of the podcast, we want to be down there at the, at the World Cup in 2023. So let's dream about it. Let's hope that things just go the way we want them to go and that we can end up at the big event again because that's that's ultimately what, what the players are playing for and what we're all hoping to see. We absolutely should uh, dream, of, dream of positivity and dream of success. But yeah, I mean, I think, as you said, it's uh, an opportunity to inspire the next generation of female footballers, not just female footballers either. I saw a really great point made by somebody about uh, Emma Radakanu, who obviously won in the US Open. I was inspired by that um, as a, somebody who's probably old enough to be Emma's dad at this rate. But, um, but yeah, I think there's a, there's a really important important message there that it's a chance to inspire everybody because you saw at the World Cup that we can get off to a positive start everybody will get behind we were both over there it wasn't just women's football fans going over to see Scotland there it was fans of Scottish football people who love following Scotland so yeah positivity we'll start with six points and then we'll we'll win the World Cup in a, a couple of years time before we wrap, before we wrap up there's one last one last thing John asked us to do was have a wee, a wee brief chat about SWPL as you mentioned Sarah are two stomping grounds at the moment. Um, SWPL win season started uh, oh, well, a couple of weeks ago now. So some teams have played a couple of games and a couple of teams only played one. But I think it's been uh, a pretty interesting start. Um, I think who the, who the teams, I'll tell you what, we'll do a like, kind of, who the teams that have piqued your interest from the start of the SWPL win season. I think I have to be fair and start with Glasgow City because the first game that I, I was in coverage for was Glasgow City against Motherwell. And they've, again, some of the one of the themes that we've been speaking about tonight has been changes. There's been quite a few at Glasgow City with Scott Booth departing. And obviously, we are recording this podcast a week after the Glasgow City were knocked out of the Women's Champions League. So they started positively. There was a, a really good result where against 7-0 against Motherwell on the opening day where they integrated a couple of young players and a couple of new sign-ins into the squad. And I think one thing with Glasgow City is when players do depart, that you sort of have a look at where how or how they're going to fill the gaps because they've had this success through these players and then they have to renew certain positions to, to keep that success moving forward. And I was really impressed that day by Vitel Katz, who was in midfield for Glasgow City and... I was also impressed with the fact that Grant Scott wasn't afraid to bring on younger players. He started with Taylor Fisher, youngster up front, brought on Maya Bates. Uh, Neve Noble was was on 
in the second half as well. So that's something as he, as interim head coach, is just helping Glasgow City through a transition at the moment, is one to keep an eye on. And then if we transition it into the second weekend, they were 2-0 up against Celtic after we knocked out the Champions League and Celtic fought back to take a point from that 2-2. So a couple of questions have maybe been raised there. I was at that time at another game, Hamilton Academico against Rangers, so I didn't get to take that one in live. But I think the feeling, just checking afterwards on the, the, the feeling of the game, was that it was obviously as Celtic Glasgow City is, and there was last season, entertainment, but... There's a little bit of a question that's maybe been raised of City being knocked out of the Champions League and the dropping points there to Celtic. What are we are we going to see over coming weeks to transition again? Rangers playing their opening game. I, I think I've described them as one to watch this season because they will still be hurting no matter what players were speaking about raring to go for the new season and getting the new league campaign underway. They were raring to go because I think they've got things they want to put right this year. Um, and they'll be looking forward to the big games and they'll want to, again, prove people wrong because with what happened at the end of last season with them missing out in the Champions League place, they'll still feel that was something lost. They'll have watched Celtic and Glasgow City in Champions League action and it would have been sore for them. And Malky Thompson has made another signing today. He's made a couple of signings over the summer. We saw Jane Ross's impact on Saturday who really, really impressed me and I think she's going to be a big, big selling point for the league this year and Rangers. So, Looking at those, you know, rightfully starting where the, the teams were at the top end of the table last season, there's a lot that's impressed me there and there's a lot that really inspires you and excites you for the rest of the season. And I think credit to Aberdeen have, have impressed me because they come up as a promoted side. And I've said a couple of times to yourself and, and a few other people that nobody will be looking forward to going up to the Balmoral and, and taking on Aberdeen, especially with what they achieved last season. Got a really close-knit squad. They've added more experience with Gavin Beath going in beside Emma Hunter, former Dundee United head coach. And, you know, it's a squad that's really well-knit and knows each other. And Emma Hunter knows how to get the best out of that squad. So those away games for teams up there are, are, are going to be slippy ones. They're going to be really, really tricky. And Celtic managed to come through that and... That paid off against Glasgow City. Um, should, should I pause and let you have a say before I go into further teams? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll jump in as well because uh, I, 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 me and Stuart were speaking before the podcast. We didn't want to leave one person just flying solo on it. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to rewind back to that Celtic-Glasgow City game. So I was at that one while you were at the Aki's Rangers game. And, yeah, it was it was very much the what is now turning into a bit of a stereotypical Celtic-Glasgow City game. But uh, the intensity picks up, I think, that is often driven by Fran Alonso and, and, and it was Scott Booth. Grant's a little bit more laid back than Scott, but um, Fran was, is always energetic on the touchline, which play, plays a big part. And I think the, the big thing that you can always say about Celtic, and I think it even showed when they, they lost to Levante in the Champions League, although they went out, they were never out of that game against Levante and against Glasgow City. They were they looked dead and buried at halftime. I, I said that at the time when I was speaking to a couple of people there, that I thought that the game was done and then... He made a couple of changes and Celtic came back into it and it could have, could have gone either way by, by the end of the game uh, in that respect. But while you were on your opening day at Glasgow City, I'd actually headed through to see Hibs take on Spartans and Hibs, who historically have been the second force uh, in women's football in Scotland for the last kind of four or five years, uh, winning almost all the cups of Glasgow City were winning the leagues. Um, had, a, had a tough season last season, uh, running a very short squad and they finished, I think, 19 points behind Rangers who were in third in fourth place but they've made a couple of 
really good signings. They've signed Michaela Macaloni from, from Spartans and Alexa Coyle, who uh, is coming from Bovista, uh, not Bovista, is coming uh, and coming to the uh, coming from uh, the states, and she has been. She's a very raw, but she troubles defenders all the time without without really realizing it. Something that head coach Dean Gibson had said a couple of times. It's something I don't think she realizes how troublesome she's been. And they've started very well. They're obviously top of the league at the moment as well, after winning their opening two games against Spartans and Motherwell. But I think the biggest thing for me about this SWPL season, we love a title race. Absolutely love a title race. I think there will be a good one. And I think Hibs will get a little bit closer. But for the first time in a couple of seasons, we're going to have a relegation battle. We're going to have people mucking about in the, the bottom end of the table. Um, and I think we've already seen through this, even the early parts of the seasons, that I don't think there's going to be a case of what's maybe happened in previous years where a team gets kind of cut adrift at the bottom. And we're, we're going to see a battle. Aberdeen, you've mentioned one of the teams come up, but also Hamilton Aki's won in their opening game away at Harps, three penalties, two missed, but they still managed to win 2-1. Uh, and obviously, um, part of this as well, who kind of came up on the back of the, the fourth of Farmington News, who will be diff- will be a difficult team to play. They they like to play a way where they make it a little bit difficult for the other team to play, but when they open up, they play very good football as well. And it, for me, the, the most exciting thing about this SWPL campaign is for the first time in a while, up and down that SWPL win table, this contest happening all the way in every game towards the back end of the season is going to mean something. Yeah, it's, it's something that's really tricky with uh, commentating on the games and, and I've been certain places for coverage as I didn't want to um, overlook the teams that I had watched in full. So I thought I would start with them first, but you're, you're right in everything you say. I mean, there's you look at the... You, you look at the fixture card and you, you could see so many little interesting bullet points, battles, like headlines to, to look out for. And I think there's been takeaways from both weekends that we've seen so far as well. Hibs, I'll, I'll start there because one thing that looks really clear to me, even not being at the games at the moment, is that the squad and Dean Gibson have learnt from the, the, the fixtures that they played in last season where they dropped points that were they were big points and they had people looking at Hibs and asking questions. He, him and his side coming from some unfair criticism, I think, at times, based on things that happened before at the club and with before with, with their, their women's side. And the two that kind of stick out is the, the Derby defeat against Hearts, which hurt big time. And then there was a defeat to Spartans, wasn't there, when things restarted, I think, in April. So those were two fixtures where Hibs would have wanted the six points from those two games. But then later on, they played against, I think there was a Rangers game where they were really, really they were really tight and they didn't let Rangers have any joy through. They were beaten 1-0 in the end. There was the 0-0 towards the end of the season at Glasgow City. So they dropped points in games where people didn't expect them to. And they maybe picked up a point or put in a performance where people didn't expect them to. And I think it looks like he's, he's obviously it's early days, but it's going to be interesting to see how that is going to work in these fixtures and what they've learned for the rest of this season from the previous campaign. But they've done everything asked of them so far and a good start. And like you say, Michaela Macaloni, what a signing. I think it's one that Hibs have tried to get on a couple of occasions and they're really happy to finally get her. And I think although we do see a lot of foreign talent coming in at times, there's you know top Scottish talent that you see in teams that have played, they've been introduced by managers like Debbie McCulloch and others that are giving youth a chance and they've had a good two or three years of, of experience in the league as well so there's a lot of value there with being a, a, the right piece and a, a squad that's around them so I'm really interested to see how Ibs are going to carry on their, their, their opening form um, and 
you know, I mentioned to Hamilton as well because although it was a heavy defeat for them against Rangers, that game against Hearts, the, the way they kept battling to the end of the game from watching the highlights was, you know, they looked like a team that knew what they were doing in this league, that had been there and experienced before. And there are some changes to the Hamilton of previous that have been in SWPL1. But there's, again, there's a unity and there's a consistency to how they run as a club and how they do things. And I think that sort of professionalism and, and so on will add to those games where they're maybe looking to have more of a chance and pick up points and uh, around the teams, sorry, and, and around the, the teams that are in the table round about them. So I said on a preview podcast, I can't call how the table is going to look at the end of the season. I really can't. I cannot tell you who will be first, who will be bottom, how, how who will be in the middle. I, I really can't tell you how it's going to look because every team has something to sell. Every team has something to get you along to a game. And as we've seen with a, a couple of games like the Hearts Hamilton one, you know, even Glasgow City Celtic, nothing looks predictable at this moment in time. No, I, I think you're you're absolutely right to say that. I would not want to be. I mean, I'm not a big fan of predicting the table at the start of the season and then see what it looks like at the end. But I think it'd be particularly different, uh, difficult with SWPL one this season. And obviously, with that relegation, there's opportunities for SWPL two sides to come up as well. But yeah, I think. It will be interesting to see what happens when we get into kind of wintertime. I think one of the things I've been really impressed with is just kind of the match day experience at the SWPL1 grounds this season. I think it's something that has been lacking in the past, but it's definitely going in the right direction at the moment. And that has resulted in more people turning up at the gate. And I think that if clubs see that happening, that's that's a good thing as well. But yeah, if you have the opportunity, go and see an SWPL game at and then we'll, we'll make sure you're entertained. We'll point you in the right direction if you ever need that bit of advice. But I think that's plenty for us from just now, Stuart. So, Stuart, thank you very much for, for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to Friday and Tuesday. Yeah, me too. And thank you very much for listening. Um, I hope that me not being John has been okay for you and uh, you've, you've enjoyed listening to it. But thank you very much and uh, take care. And I'm sure we'll see you around soon. Paul Scotland, well, one in the same. Paul Scotland. We'll do it again We're all in this together We'll take on all the pressure Oh, Scotland, Scotland, Scotland We'll be 